Well, it is so good to see all of you, whether you are live or live streaming. I'm Talbot Davis. I'm the pastor here. And as always, I'm glad to be able to engage with you this morning. And we have been in this series. It's been an eight-week series called What in the World? And it's a series that started in the, the nooks and crannies of our own homes. And it kind of extended all around the world to see what's going on in the global faith. Even last week, we talked about what in the world's going on with with this particular place, and we, we saw on, on last Sunday, and then again on Tuesday, as, as sometimes in order to, to remain as you are, you gotta make a change, and th that's us with the denominational covering that we have. And, and then today, it ends up with a, a message called, what in the world is the deal with the end of the world? So what in the world is the deal with the end of the world? And to help us move into that particular conversation, if you have your Bible with you, and maybe your Bible looks like mine, which means it's in the shape of a book, even though it's not a book, it's a library. Or maybe it's loaded on your phone, but either however you have it in a book or on your phone, find 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and starting at verse 13. And, uh, and if, you, if you don't have a Bible that looks like mine and you di you didn't, it's not loaded on your phone yet either and you're wondering, well, am I allowed to stay? Yes. We will put the words up on the screen as we often do at just the right time so that you can see what it is that we're talking about. And when I mentioned earlier that it's not a book, but it is a library, again, you may not know this, but when we're in, the, when we're in 1 Thessalonians, that means we're looking at a letter and it's a letter that uh, an ancient pastor, missionary, and author named Paul, he wrote to a church in the Greek city of Thessalonica. And the people who lived in Thessalonica were called Thessalonians. And he writes to them as a pastor. And, and so really kind of understanding that has everything to do with understanding why he says what he says about the end of the world as we know it. Well, so the Bible is not only a library, and, and what I'm going to say you may or may not already be on board with. You may be trying to figure it out yourself. That's okay. We just want you to know where we are. We believe it's the only library of its kind on earth, that God breathed his life into its words. He put his truth onto its pages. The Bible is inspired and eternal and true. And out of that conviction that we have in leadership here, we have a custom the custom is that when we talk about the Bible here, we lift it up. And, and again, if you're new and you're seeing phones in the air and Bible, you're like, what's this about? Well, we don't worship the Bible, but we love it because we know that loving the scripture helps us to adore the Savior. And we do worship him. And so this is our way of showing visually that we are surrendered to the authority because there's so many voices out there trying to tell you what to think, how to live, what it all means. And, and we just, by trial and error, mostly error, we've just come to the place where we realize he's the authority we can trust and his, the, he has the word to which we will surrender. Amen? And so before I say anything else, let's pray. Father, thank you for just how good you are. I thank you for the, 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 the truth of your word. I thank you for giving us a window into a letter to an ancient, ancient church. Use my words to help everybody within the sound of my voice see the connections to the lives we live today. I am powerless without you. Because of you, I'm never helpless. In your name we pray. Amen. 
well as if you didn't already have enough to worry about. I want to let you know a little bit about the doomsday clock. And the doomsday clock was started in 1947, two years after the atomic bombs were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And it was developed by the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, and it was used to measure just how close planet Earth is with the governments and the wars and all the powers jockeying for position, just how close planet Earth is to nuclear war, the genocide of the human race, the total eclipse of the heart, dogs and cats living together, the end of the world as we know it. How close are we to all of that stuff? And, and when they start, and it's not a literal clock, symbolic, but when they started in 1947, in the wake of, of just a couple of years after nuclear explosions, they said we were three minutes from doomsday, three minutes from the end of everything. And it kept at about three minutes. And then in 1962, at the height of the Cuban Missile Crisis, which some of you remember and others of you have read about, it moved up to two minutes to midnight. I mean, there's so much crisis and controversy with the U.S. and the Soviet Union and Cuba, two minutes to midnight. Then that all calmed down. And during the Cold War, most of the 70s and 80s, the doomsday clock was sort of comfortably at three minutes to midnight. And, and, and then this great thing happened in 1991 when communism fell, the Soviet Union collapsed, and the doomsday clock moved way back because it was like, well, they're gone. They're not a threat anymore. And it was 17 minutes to mid. I mean, we got a lot of time left on planet Earth. Well, do you remember when I said, as if you didn't already have enough to worry about? <laughs> because the doomsday clock has changed in the last couple of years, and it is currently today, right now, the closest it has ever been to doomsday ever. We are at 90 seconds away from the end. Now, this is not literal, or I better finish my message real fast. We 90 seconds away on the doomsday clock from the end of everything. And this is mostly due to Russia, Putin, Ukraine, and talk of, a, you might've heard this, of a tactical nuclear weapon. Maybe we can just use a little nuclear, but be a little bit pregnant, a little bit married, a tactical nuclear weapon. And, and so all of a sudden we are at at 90 seconds to midnight, the closest you have ever been. And aren't you glad you came to church today for that? And, and, I, and I know I have about half of you just itching to leave church today so you can go start construction on one of those 1950s era shelters underneath your house with thick concrete walls to protect you from radioactive fallout. But, but in, in lieu of that, or in, in, until then, you're, you're fair to ask, well, Talbot, thank you. I think, for telling me about the doomsday clock. But what in the world does all this have to do with this series, What in the World? What does it have to do with Jesus and faith and the Bible and life as we know it? And the answer is everything. 
Because it's actually a, a quite an urgent question where life is headed and, and, and what we think will happen at the end of everything. And it, it, especially people within the Jesus movement and people who've been grounded in scripture and people who are dedicated to faith have really been asking these kind of questions for a long, long time and devoted a lot of intellectual, mental horsepower to trying to figure it all out. And, and, and some of you may know this and and others of you don't, but, but uh, for, for example, the, the Left Behind franchise has accomplished the twin miracles. I mean, two incredible miracles. And the first miracle of the Left Behind franchise is to sell more than $300 million worth worldwide of books and movies and T-shirts and bumper stickers and swag. I mean, that's miraculous $300 million worth. The, the second miracle that Left Behind has accomplished is that it has single-handedly, all by itself, resurrected the career of Kirk Cameron. <laughs> I mean, no one else gets all the credit for doing exactly all of that. And, and so that, that Left Behind franchise, tremendously influential. Others of you, you, you may have heard of prophecy conferences or gone to them. You may tune into an end times podcast. You may have heard a message like this talking about the end of everything. You may have seen a bumper sticker at some point that said, in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. You may be like that guy who said to me not long ago with complete seriousness. So he says, well, it is clear that we are in the last days now. Or maybe you've just been like, Julie and I sometimes watching the latest outrageous or sad or outrageously sad news show, and Julie will turn to me and she's, it can't get anywhere. Jesus is coming back, isn't he? So, so where, where, wherever, you, you, I mean, like if normal can't come back, at least Jesus could come back. And, and you, you may be like that. And, 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 and so we're going to address that. We're going to look at, at exactly that question. What, what is the, the end of everything? What in the world is going on with the end of the world? And to do so, we're going to look at first Thessalonians, a New Testament letter. So if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, picking up at verse 13. And as some of you are making your way there or scrolling your way there, or just hoping we'll put the verse up on the screen at the right time, I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, wait a minute there, mister. If we're talking about the end of the world as we know it, Shouldn't we be doing it out of the book of Revelation after all? Because that's the one that's supposed to tell us that everything that's going to happen and when it's going to happen, when everything goes boom. Why are you not telling us about this from the book of Revelation, Talbot? Well, we ask that because we, we, we really, we want turn-by-turn -turn navigation of what we think is going to happen at the end of the world. We, we want to see around every corner and we want to know every shoe, when every shoe is going to drop before it actually drops. And, and, and we erroneously think that the book of Revelation is the place to go for that. Well, the truth is the book of Revelation is way more about the first century church enduring unbelievable persecution than it is about the 21st century church making unprovable predictions 
way more about that. And that if, in fact, you want any kind of semblance of turn-by-turn navigation, what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, and how do we know, and what do we do in the meantime? Man, 1 Thessalonians, Paul, as he writes to the church in the city of Thessalonica, that's the place to go. And, and as you look at 1 Thessalonians, it's, it's so helpful to understand what Paul is doing. The issue that he is addressing and the problem that he is solving Because for the Thessalonian church, ancient church in Greece, their doomsday clock was like at half a second to midnight. They thought that Jesus was going to come back and he was going to come back today, any minute. And so like every day they woke up, is today the day? Is he here? And then they'd go to bed disappointed. Is today the day? Is is he here? They were absolutely convinced that Jesus was going to come back in their lifetime. And because of that conviction, they also thought that when Jesus came, because I don't know if you know this or not, you you may not know this. People in in, in the Jesus movement, whether Thessalonians then or Good Shepherdans now or Charlatans or Fort Millionaires or whatever you call them now, we believe that, that time moves in a line. Now, our Hindu friends, our Buddhist friends, they believe that time is circular, endlessly repeating itself. But in Christianity, we believe there was some kind of big bang at the beginning. There'll be some kind of way bigger bang at the end when Jesus comes back. And so Christians have always thought, yeah, Jesus is coming back. And in the earliest days of the Jesus movement, they thought he was coming back today. And when he came back, he was going to bring all sorts of goodness and all sorts of joy and all sorts of blessing to every Christian who was still alive when he returned to planet earth. Well, in in their way of thinking in the Thessalonian church, this is not how we think now because it's been so long, but in their way of thinking, no Christian was going to die before Jesus came back. Jesus is coming back today, not today, then tomorrow, but none of us will die because if you die, you might miss out on all the blessings. And, and, and so like in the Thessalonian church, you go to seminary, there's no reason for a class on how to do a good funeral because no one's going to die before Jesus comes back. Except what happened in the Thessalonian church? People started dying. We don't know exactly how, maybe grandmom died of old age. Maybe dad died of yellow fever, undiagnosed. Maybe young son died in a farming accident. Maybe mom died in childbirth. But people started to die. Death death was batting a thousand in Thessalonica, as it always does. It's like the woman in our our church in Monroe where I served in in the 1990s, and she was talking about death, and somebody would die in the church, and she would say, well... It's a debt we all got to pay. And death had come to collect on its payments. And again, we do not think this way. But this is how they were thinking in Thessalonica. Oh my goodness. These people are dying. Jesus hasn't come back yet. 
They are missing out on all the goodness that he's going to bring with him when he comes back. They are out there wandering in some sort of vaguely unpleasant afterlife. What about my, and and you may have suffered the death of someone you love very deeply. What are they doing right now? And for the Thessalonians, that question filled them with despair. And so Paul has to write to this church, not as a fortune teller, not as a crystal ball reader, as a pastor. And that explains why he opens this section, verse 13, this way. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. I I, I love that. People, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be a bunch of ignoramuses. I instead want you to be informed. I instead want you to know because people have died and they're going to keep dying. And when they die, we want you to grieve, but we want you to grieve with hope. And then as Paul moves on, he indirectly addresses that topic that's so on our minds. When's he coming back? What's it look like? What's going to happen? Turn by turn navigation for all of us. He indirectly addresses it by really honing in on what he wants to communicate to his church. Look at verses 14 and 15. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Stop right there. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And you can never say that too often. That is the foundation of every belief that we have, every moral we hold, every conviction that has us because we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Can I hear an amen for that? And when that's the first phrase, everything else in your life, everything else in your sentence is gonna make sense. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And what does Paul say next? So. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, I love that, we who are still alive, Paul assumes he's still going to be alive when Jesus comes back. We who are still alive, he's not. We who are still alive, (laughs) who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. And so he, he settles the issue right there at the beginning because he tells them, okay, folks, the, the alive when he comes backers are not going to get more blessing and more bling and more swag than the already debtors. There, there's going to be some great reunion of all of them at the feet of the resurrected king. And then he keeps going. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Yeah, in the same way that he left earth by rocketing skyward, churches always believe he's gonna return by plummeting earthward. And and you and me, we read that phrase where, where it says, for the Lord himself will come down to heaven. And because we're doomsday clockers, we're, we're, well, when? When is this going to happen? What is it going to look like? We want turn-by-turn navigation. When, 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 when? To answer that question, same author, Paul. Same letter, 1 Thessalonians. Same section. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Just skip down just a little bit. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we don't even need to write to you. 
For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, some of you have been robbed. Some of you have had your house cased out by potential thieves, and for whatever reason, they decided not worth it. But because your protection's too good, not because you don't have anything. But whether you've been robbed or not, I know for a fact that, that not one of you, not a single one of you has ever received a text, an email, a telegram, a smoke signal from a potential thief that says, well, I will be arriving at your house Tuesday at 2 a.m. Could you please make sure that you have vacated the premises so I can have all of your valuables? That never happened. And yet that is the analogy that Paul draws. Jesus is going to come back and the time of his return is absolutely, positively unpredictable. Because in the same way that a thief's not going to tell you when they're showing up, he's not going to tell you when he is coming back. So if we want turn-by-turn navigation, we want to know exactly what's going to happen when we want charts and graphs and we, we want to figure it all out. And Paul said, no, 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 no. His return will be unpredictable. And in addition to that, look what he says in the very next phrase. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. I love that. With a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call. If we were writing this, we would say, he's going to put the volume at 11, people. His return will be loud. If it's unpredictable, it will also be unmistakable. Nobody, nobody anywhere on planet Earth will have any curiosity. Well, what is going on? Who is coming back? No, it will be loud. It will be bright. The Lord's glory will be revealed in all of its splendor. And it will be absolutely unmistakable. And, and you see, you, you, you might notice that there's no hint. There's no shadow anywhere of, 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 of like his special people get whooshed out of earth and Nobody knows where they've been, and, and seven years later, they, they're supposed to do the countdown then for seven more years, and then he's going to come back again, and it, the whole system starts. No, that's not in there. It, it all happens at once, un, unmistakably, nothing secret, nothing silent, unmistakable, volume at 11 return. And what we, so you, you may have read the, the those books or seen those movies in act one, scene one, character one, everybody's gone and no, not everybody, a remnant is gone and people don't know where they've been. Great fiction, great entertainment, great for Kirk Cameron. <laughs> it's just not what Paul is telling these people. Because look again, look what he says in verse 17. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever, unpredictable and unmistakable and unstoppable. And what Paul pictures here, he talks about meeting people in the air and already debtors and alive when he comes backers, having this reunion. He, 
He pictures this thing that he also pictures in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which, hello, makes sense. He's the author of both of them. And the Holy Spirit breathed life into both of them. And I don't know if you know this or not, but he, he pictures the end when Jesus comes back. And are we going to predict when he's coming back? That was practice. Are we going to predict when he's coming back? When he comes back, all of us who have died in him, that our souls, our everlasting souls, will be reunited with a resurrected, perfected, glorified body. We get brand new. We, we, we don't normally think this way. It's just biblical that, that the image of eternity is not that Christians will be floating around in clouds playing harps with the angels. It's so much better than that. The vision of eternity is that what happened to Jesus's body on Easter Sunday when he burst through the grave on the other side with a brand new body, that that's the down payment on what's going to happen to your body and what's going to happen to my body forever. And the brand new, resurrected, glorified body that you will get, that I will get, cancer will never infect it. Your knee will never need to be replaced. You will never struggle with mental illness. All of it resurrected, all of it glorified, all of it perfect. His return is not just unpredictable, not just unmistakable, it's unstoppable. But in addition to that, I wouldn't be fair, biblical, honest if I didn't show you the other side of the coin. Because at some point, Paul felt it necessary to write a, another letter to the Thessalonian church. We have it as 2 Thessalonians, verses, chapter 1 and verses 7 through 10. And look at what he tells them then, still talking. To, I think he had to clarify that which he had introduced in 1 Thessalonians. And he said this, this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not know, obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished, yikes, with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. See, this is not my opinion. This is biblical truth. On the day that he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who believe. This is, includes you because you believed our testimony to you. So yeah, when he comes back for people who are not covered in Jesus's blood, who have not said yes to him as king, it will not only be unpredictable and unmistakable and unstoppable, it will be unbearable. There really will be hell to pay. And Jesus, who has never made a single mistake in judgment or in mercy, in love or in wrath, in grace or in fury, who's never made a single mistake in any of that, he's not going to start making those mistakes then. And if you're worried, oh man, that sounds so harsh, it's just real. And if you're worried, oh, can I really believe in a God who there is going to be judgment and wrath? Man, just know he's never made a wrong decision and it's not going to start then. And that whole notion that some of you may have heard of the battle of Armageddon, you've heard of the battle of Armageddon, as if it is a battle at the end between sort of two sort of equals, you know, God on one side and Satan at the other, 
There's a battle of Armageddon and you get to the fourth quarter and you're like, who's gonna win? Who's gonna win? As if. That's not the, what the battle of Armageddon's gonna be like. Instead, it's gonna be like one of those UFC fights where the bell rings, they're in the octagon and one punch, whoop, and it's over. That's what it's gonna be like because when the Lord come back, he's gonna bring with him a can of whoop. He's going to bring a beat down. That sound, but he's going to bring a beat. It's not a battle of Armageddon. It's the execution at Armageddon. And Satan and his legions are going to get what is coming to them. And Jesus, who's never made a wrong decision, won't make any wrong decisions then. And all, and you wonder, well, when is all this going to happen? What are the stages and what are the phases? No, it all happens at once. Judgment, grace, renewal, uh, sending into the lake of fire, every bit of good, every bit of bad, every bit of fury, every bit of love, it all happens at once. And you're like, how can the Lord do all that at once? <laughs> He's the same one who with the, the word out of his mouth spoke all the universe and its infinity into existence. I think he can renew it all at once as well. And all this is why, all this is why the end Times chart at Good Shepherd Church is remarkably simple. Take a look up on the screen. This is it. This, this is how we have it all figured out. There is a now and there is a then, and that then is when Jesus comes and our faith will in fact be our eyes. And it's so interesting what Paul does, because remember, He's not writing as a fortune teller, he's writing as a pastor. And it's so interesting what he tells the Thessalonian church to do with all the truth he has laid upon them. And does he say to them, therefore, scare one another with these words? Nope. Therefore, never mention these words again. Nope. Therefore, speculate about these words. Nope. Instead, in verse 18, 1 Thessalonians 4, he says this, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Is there anybody you know who needs to learn how to view life from the end backwards? Anybody you know who thinks nobody has ever had it as hard as they have it right now? Nobody could be more desperate than they are in this moment. Nothing worse could ever happen or nothing better could ever happen. Do they need to know, you, you know, Jesus is coming back and he's gonna right every wrong and he's going to heal every hurt. Is there anybody in your life who suffered abuse, who suffered abandonment, who suffered betrayal, who suffered the deepest kind of wounds and they need to know Jesus is coming back and when he does, that hurt will be healed and that wrong will be righted. You spend some time encouraging people with those words and you will never have to worry about the doomsday clock again because that is what in the world is gonna happen with the end of the world. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are sovereign. 
Thank you that you have promised us resurrection bodies. Thank you, Lord, that your return is sure. And I pray, Father, that you would let all of us live in light of that eternity for the glory and the goodness of your name. In that name we pray. And everyone says,